Hello there and welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded Sunday, August 1st, 2021. And a good evening to everyone out there. I'm Greg from Philly, your host from this evening's podcast. And today we're talking with my producer, Dan. We had a lot of great feedback from some listeners about the format of the last show. So we're doing another kind of a wrap session about some topics that have come up since the last episode and just to kind of been on our mind and we wanted to you know talk through them with each other and with you and share yeah. our perspective i actually had fun on that show the last show actually was uh i think it was the show before last was when you and i were rapping and uh, got a lot of positive feedback from that show and uh, that's great because i enjoyed it i enjoyed making that show it was just kind of open open topics and free discussions and um we just had fun and that was uh, let's do that again yeah and and boy we've <laughs> it's been an eventful two weeks yes it has we've had uh let me see well the january 6th commission is the uh headline of the political news this week i believe yeah january 6th commission and a lot of new revelations about the events of january 6th and who said what to who, when, and now there are calls between Trump and the Justice Department that have come to light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some um, some things that need to be explained. Uh, we've had some congressmen in tone that they were in contact with the president before the uh, before the inter- uh, insurrection, before the riots or the insurrection, and mm-hmm. we've had some evidence that or some some suggestions again from the congresspersons themselves. Um, that maybe they were in contact with specific people involved yeah. ahead of time or knew specific aspects of the plan ahead of time. And then the Trump thing, I think, was... I don't know. I've, I've heard people describe it as a bombshell. It certainly seems that way to me. But on the other hand, you know, obviously the Justice Department was aware of this call because they were the subject of the call, the target of the call. So... Mm-hmm. The fact that they haven't done anything about it, <laughs> that we're only finding out about it now, yeah, I, I think somewhat undercuts that. I mean, I think just objectively it is a big deal, but uh, I don't know if it'll have the consequences a lot of people watching this hope it has or believe it will have. Well, one of the explanations I heard for the delay in making this public was that there is this... Um, boy, somebody just dinged us here, didn't they? There was this... Um, concept of executive privilege that uh, that the, any sort of conversation that the president has with anybody is subject to executive privilege. And I think that the Justice Department had to look at that in terms of what does executive privilege actually cover? Does it cover the president as a personal uh, issue or does it cover the fact that um, there is official business being discussed? And so maybe there was that hesitation from the Justice Department that said, okay, we will make this known perhaps when there is an investigation into it, but for the time being, you know, we'll keep it quiet. I don't know if that was the real case or not, but I, it, it is an interesting idea. Okay, so Greg dropped off again. Now he's back. Every time I start talking, you cut me off. What's going on here? Uh-oh, now I hear a bunch of static. Hello? Greg, you there? Yeah, can you hear me now? Okay, I can hear you now. Yeah. 
Yeah, Zoom keeps changing my my settings there. I, I, I promise you I touched nothing except the mute button, and then it switched microphones for me. That's bizarre. You know, I think maybe it's uh, the ramble detector. When I start rambling, uh, it just cuts me off. It's like, you know, <laughs> I'm trying not to take it personally, but this is beginning to happen a lot to me. So anyways, what I was saying was that the uh, uh, that one of the reasons why there might have been a delay um, from the Justice Department was there might have been a question over what constitutes executive privilege in a conversation. And now that the investigation has been launched, uh, perhaps now they feel more free to release the information from that memo. That's, well, that I've, I'd say that's actually probably pretty likely. Um, there's also, I think, a broader discussion to be had, probably not now, but um, just how widely executive privilege is used in particular that seems to be used to cover up official misconduct often. Mm -hmm. Even though it's really not supposed to, there are statutes that indicate that it's not supposed to, but it doesn't seem like those are terribly enforced. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, terribly well enforced, but the content of the call was in broad strokes. Uh, Trump called his, uh, his deputy attorney general. And uh, who was also on the call with, I guess one of his, his assistants and Trump said, Hey, this is an illegal, corrupt election. You've got to come out and say that. Mm -hmm. Department, Justice Department came back and said, hey, we're, we can't change the outcome of the election. That's not how things work. Almost exactly what was said. Yeah. According to some contemporaneous notes of the meeting from the people in it. And yeah. this, I think, is the damning line that everyone's looking at, which is Trump saying, we don't expect you to do that. Just say that the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. Yeah. Yeah. So he That's was already scheming a plan there. Yeah, he was scheming yeah. a plan there because I, I get to see he would go to the uh, to the press and say, look, even the Justice Department agrees with me. And the Justice Department might be saying, well, we don't really agree with him. But, you know, once that lie gets out there, it permeates and travels really fast. And then by the time the truth catches up with it, nobody's listening anymore. So that could have been his game plan right from the very beginning, of course. I mean, we've seen this call repeat with a lot of folks, including like the Georgia Secretary of State or Georgia yeah. Secretary of State. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems like he's had this conversation with just about everyone who might be a, even might be in a position to help him, whether they were actually the person in charge of whatever it was or not. Yeah. So that's that's why I don't I, I don't doubt it. Um, only because he, well, he's literally on tape doing it on like two different occasions. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't shock me that he's repeated the same thing to another person, that it's his attorney general, yeah. de deputy attorney general. That is pretty shocking. Well, he, um, he also threatens uh, to replace him with yes. you know, one of his buddies. And I believe Nixon did something similar back in uh, during the Watergate scandal. And, you know, replace him with someone that's, that's a, more sympathetic. Classic move, right? Yeah. Yeah. Classic move. Do what I do this, do this thing that I want you to do, this potentially legal thing or corrupt thing. And if you don't do it, I'll find someone who will. Yeah. That was essentially the threat. He didn't follow through with it, obviously. But in broad strokes, I'd say the, the plan was followed through. He couldn't find anyone to help him say that the election was corrupt because as far as they could tell, it wasn't. Right, but it didn't stop him from saying it anyway. He just did it without their backing. 
and yeah. kind of like stuck to the plan without all the plan falling into place. You know, that's actually, I've been reading a lot of about fascism. I know we had a show on fascism uh, recently and with, uh, with Jonathan Netheridge. And one of the techniques of fascism is to completely disregard the truth in the moment and just say something, right? Say something that's profound and that will get out there. That's what will stick. The first one who throws something out there, that will stick. And everything else that comes after it is just disappears into the noise. And so that again is, is a technique. It's a it's a it's it's a technique that's well used by fascists in the past, and Trump understands that. Um, you know, he's very tuned in to the way that people listen to information and how they interpret it, and also tuned into the fact that once people believe a lie or at least hear the lie, they will act on it. And that's all he needs. Just a little bit of an edge is all he really needed at that time to uh, to be able to throw that election differently. Now, whether he actually was going to be successful at it, I don't know, because uh, a lot of people, including yours truly, would have probably driven into Washington, D.C. at that point and said, OK, this is not going to happen. You know, this you can't you can't. Uh, it's a coup, basically. Right. It's it's it's, it's a coup d'etat. And uh, it's not going to go off without some sort of with, without some sort of resistance. Not that I'm a big fan of Joe Biden, but I am a big fan of, you know, as everybody else, I'm sure, everybody listening to the podcast, a big fan of the right to vote and the the, uh, yeah. and the, the obligation. peaceful transfer of power. Right, peaceful transfer of power and the obligation of government to honor the votes of the people. And to a large degree, that didn't even happen. Even after the insurrection, a lot of Republicans did not support the vote. They voted, they voted against certifying certain states, um, and including my own uh, uh, Republican representative here uh, in, in Missouri, where I live, Ann Wagner, uh, as did most Republicans in Missouri. And so, you know, that, that alone to me is signifies a real problem with our, with our system. It's the fact that we're not honoring votes. And if votes don't go the way we want it to, screw it. We're just going to disregard them and do whatever we want. And, um, boy, I, I think we just got so close to fascism at that point, uh, to, to just being a totalitarian government. We're not out of the woods yet. Um, I believe tomorrow, or is it today? Uh, today being August 1st, tomorrow's August 2nd. Um, wasn't somebody at that point saying Trump was going to be reinstated for some technical reason? Yeah. I mean, you could, uh, the soundtrack to the goalpost being moved on that is, is something to be heard. Hmm. But apparently he's been reinstated as president once a month for the last couple months, almost <laughs> reinstated as president. Any day now, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't even matter if their theory is technically or legally correct. Somehow, they'll find a way. Next month, Dan. Next yeah, month. and this month, coming. We, need, we mean it this time. We really mean it. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how long but people I, are going to I think you make a great yeah. point. Like, I, I feel like it's it sort of gotten lost in the media narrative about how close we really came. That very day, Trump was pressuring Pence to reject mm -hmm. certain states. Um, he actively targeted Pence on Twitter when he wouldn't. Yeah. And, of course, who's reading his tweets? But, you know, the folks in that mob that he sent to the Capitol, yeah. which is where Pence was and where all the certified votes were. And Pence narrowly escaped. And they did breach the House chamber. Yeah. They, they got inside. Folks were rummaging around desks. And it was the quick thinking of some congressional staff to 
secure all of the the vote certifications and transport them out along with them when they got evacuated it's really the only thing that stopped them from finding them and ripping them up and then Hmm. you know arguably trump has enough muddied water there to say and do whatever he wants yeah yeah they did there was a significant portion of that crowd that wanted to hang mike pence if they found him they They had, for him. they had a hanging uh, noose uh, <laughs> erected outside the Capitol building for him. Like, like they're really going to ride his carcass out there. They were chanting about it. They yeah. were into it. Um, Pence was evacuated hastily. And, you know, it was the brave actions of the Capitol Police that ultimately drew the crowd away from where he was and, and was exiting to. So, yeah. you know, if not for the actions of that congressional staff, if not for the actions of that police officer, we would have a very different outcome. Yeah, and it it's the split second decisions of a handful of people that wow. turned that day from being much worse than it was, and it was already a lot. It was already pretty bad. People died. Right? Yeah, yeah. Police were killed or later committed suicide from just the trauma that they experienced, mm-hmm. and some of the folks in the crowd died. Yeah, it's it's scary to think that our democracy has gotten to the point that it really did hang by a thread at that point. It really really dependent on a few people and such a few number of people you can count them on one hand how mm-hmm. much that day depended upon to to do what they did and they did the right thing and then it did uh each person did contribute to bringing the correct outcome to that day but boy oh boy we got close uh you know that's i think as this investigation unfolds it's going to reveal a lot of things. Now, of course, the the, the Republican Party, and I, I, I hesitate to even call them the Republican Party. I've been calling them the GQP lately, because um, <laughs> it's 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 just a it's a bastardization of what was once the Republican Party. Um, they these radical individuals are um, continue to gain influence and continue to try and that thread is still there. I don't know where it's going to, how it's going to play itself out in the future, but this, this, uh, this show isn't over. It's not going to be over for a while. And it's a scary show. Yeah. There's a, like a callous political calculation that riding this, this authoritarian wave is going to be their best route back to office or potentially to higher office. I think there's a lot of people that are jockeying for position to be the next Trump, his like anointed mm-hmm. successor of sorts, um, whether you know he decides not to run or is just you know functionally too old to to be able to do it because um, he is an older gentleman. Well, he's so eating a lot of cheeseburgers too, so he's not doing any yeah, favors to I mean, his <laughs> coronary system. Yeah, even if he's he was perfectly healthy, he's just I mean he's he's getting up there. Um, no, you know, so presidential campaigns are. <laughs> A lot of uh, a lot of work. Yeah. So I yeah. think you have your Jim Jordans, you have your Ted Cruz's, you have Kevin McCarthy's, Josh people that are yeah. trying to either get his blessing to go on to be the next leader of the party, or at least have favor with the person that is picked to be the leader of the party. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, uh, I I just I mean I think from the Alliance Party perspective, it's it's the exact opposite of what we'd want to see from our elected officials, mm-hmm. a lack of principle, um, a lack of commitment to good governance processes and, you know, good governance, mm-hmm. best practices in favor of 
very cynical political calculations, I think, and appealing to the more baser nature of Americans rather than the American ideal. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's scary, and I've been asking myself questions for a long time, even well before Trump was even president. Where is this all coming from? You know, and I, it's is it is it the fact that our culture is shifting? We're becoming uh, true to what we have tried to do for a long time, and has become a multicultural nation. And uh, it was okay, I guess, as long as the old white men were in power. But now that that you know that's all being threatened, um, you know, a lot of tricks are being played. A lot of uh, a lot of nasty things are taking place just to preserve that old power structure. Is that what it is? And 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 it went into hyperdrive when Trump became president, but it existed long before he became president. Trump was just one of the people that was. Uh, bold enough and perhaps shameless enough to actually um, actually kick it in the hyperdrive and uh, it remains there and I don't know I mean where where do you think this is all coming from well I think you're right on some of it Uh, I feel like that backlash became very visible during the Obama administration and like you meant, like you said, Trump was the one who said, "Okay, well, this is happening. I'm gonna ride the wave rather than try, try to cool it down and try to, you know, have have my party rise above it." Trump was like, "No, we're gonna get right into it. This is gonna be our lightning rod mm-hmm. that catapults me to the presidency." And he signed up for it wholeheartedly. Uh, whether or not he believes it personally, I have no idea, but. Um, He's certainly more than willing to express publicly that he believes it uh, and values the support of other people who believe that kind of thing. But I also, I don't think that's the whole story too, because if that, that theory to me doesn't explain the response to COVID from largely the same group mm-hmm. of people uh, where they're, I mean, maybe initially you could say, well, and in fact, there's, there was some reporting on this that because it affected inner cities, uh, there was less enthusiasm <laughs> from uh, folks who got their support from rural areas to address the issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, clearly now it's it's very obviously a nationwide problem. We have have this vaccine. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't I don't. I don't think that the the racial prejudice angle fully explains that. It might explain why they wouldn't have supported it initially, but now that it's out there, why won't they get it? It's still the same group. It's largely speaking, there's a lot of overlap there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't I don't know what the answer is. It seems like there's just a string of uh, of contrarianism and the celebration of ignorance. And I think there's a lot of comorbidity to a lot of uh, a lot of hateful attitudes there, a lot of self-destructive behavior, a lot of lack of empathy for others. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the the run through, but it's expressing itself in different ways. Well, I you bring up an interesting point there. You know, when you tried to tie it into COVID, and why is it that some of the same people are are uh, are pushing the you know the, the 
anti-vaccine and and the uh, you know, trying anti-mask. to muddy the mask, yeah, anti-mask, anti-vaccine, that whole uh, that whole narrative. I believe that it does have its roots, uh, cent- uh, not centuries, decades ago. Um, just to quote uh, one of my favorite people, not Grover Norquist, who uh, way back in the 1980s said, you know, I'm not in favor of abolishing the government. I just want to shrink it down to the size where it can drown in a bathtub. <laughs> and uh, and that was, you know, he was under he was he was working under the Reagan administration, and we saw you know trickle down economics taking place. What what in my mind we started to see there was a destruction of the institution of government. And mm-hmm. it was it was done, uh, I believe, in service to a all out kleptocracy uh, that, you know, it was just going to be OK, we're going to de- capitalism is now going to declare war on democracy and we're going to get we're going to take it for everything we can. So now that you start destroying the institutions of government, the first thing you have to do is undermine people's confidence in the government. So you start yep. seeing things like, you know, uh, I mean, Trump, again, put it in the hyperdrive, but he starts undermining confidence in the FBI, he starts undermining confidence in um, in the intelligence services like the CIA or the NSA, starts undermining the intelligence of Dr. Fauci or of, of the CDC. Uh, all these things are, are being done to undermine our confidence in our own government institutions. It's because it's part of a big grift, I believe. It's part of... It's part of, I, I hate to say it again, I keep saying this word, but it's part of the fascist takeover of the United States. If the first thing you got to do is destroy the institutions that are there, and the way you destroy them is by undermining their confidence. And if you can recruit people to do that, then that means when COVID comes out and any sort of advice, even if, if the CDC said, oh, don't mask up, they would have said, hey, everybody should mask up. The CDC doesn't know right. what you're talking about. You know, They would have done just the opposite not because it's in the people's best interest, but because it's in the best interest of the people that want to destroy the government institutions in order to replace it with their own with their own grift. That's my theory, yeah, and I'm sticking that to it. Does track, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think that's an interesting element of it. So much of our COVID experience in the United States has been around the politicization of really basic government operation and public health common sense to an extent um mm-hmm. just denying that it exists despite it already being a global virus before it it hit our shores and once it got here it was going to go away immediately even though we were already seeing instances of community spread mm-hmm. basic protections stay away from people put your masks on uh it became uh rallying cries of sorts where it, it it became kind of a litmus test for personal loyalty to the president in some ways. Like, Oh, you're not wearing your mask. You don't support Trump. Mm-hmm. What? Right. <laughs> or you're wearing a mask and you don't support Trump. Like what's going on? Like, what, what, what do you mean? I just don't want to catch a deadly virus. Yeah. Virus I want to spread it to my friends and family. Right. The idea of the lockdowns. Uh, yes, it was a very extreme step. I don't think there's any denying that, but if we had gotten on board with it, at a, as a country, then, you know, it's reasonable. Like other countries that had done it, we probably would have been through the worst of it within a few weeks to a few months tops. Yeah. Now yeah. we're on year two, three. 
It's yeah. not going away anytime soon because we let every state do their own thing. Uh, it seemed like the federal government actively avoided doing any kind of national strategy. Uh, and lot, the subject of lockdowns themselves were heavily criticized. Masks were heavily criticized. Essentially, every social distancing criticized, every public health recommendation that we could come up with to uh, defend against communicable disease and airborne communicable disease became you know, some sort of sign of un-Americanism in those circles. And you know, when you have that many people not on board with it, well, of course, this thing is going to keep spreading around no matter what we do. Yeah, And that's kind of where we're at right now. We're seeing a big resurgence of COVID and this Delta variant. Uh, it's <laughs> somehow more infectious than the old one, which, you know, would think did not be possible because it seemed pretty infectious. Yeah. But uh, the numbers are there and the numbers are spiking. They're spiking in Florida, Vegas, California, all over the place. Yeah. And from what from what is being reported, from what doctors are saying, it seems to be that the vast majority of the folks that are getting this new infection are unvaccinated. Yeah. And the vaccination yeah. itself was politicized. First, it was... Uh, and this is also a fascist thing. We're some we're the best at this. We're we're got the most amazing operation warp speed, even though they didn't have anything to do with the development of this vaccine, or at least certain companies that first developed the vaccine. Mm -hmm. They're taking credit for it anyway. But also, this virus either doesn't exist or isn't a big deal, and you shouldn't take it. Yeah. Somehow, and, both uh, of those things were true at the same time, and no one in the Republican Party seemed to have a concern about that. Yeah, they're still both true at the same time. And, you know, it, it, one thing you, you triggered something in my mind here. One thing that, that one phenomenon that gets me is the fact that um, uh, Trump was really his administration was really um, they one of the rare situations where I believe they actually did the right thing. They did some some pre purchasing of the vaccines. They invested heavily in, in the development of vaccines, this Operation Warp Speed. Uh, for all the all the uh, clunky you know, operations that, that uh, Jared Kushner put into place, I mean, it, it actually did yield something good. Something good did come out of it. And um, then the administration got switched, right? And it became Democrat. And then suddenly the Republicans said, well, you know, we're not going to get, or not Republicans, again, the GQP said, you know, we're not going to get the credit for doing this, for saving people's lives. You know, Joe Biden's going to jump in there and grab the credit. And, you know, honestly, they're right about that. So what? Because, you know, the virus doesn't care, right? So um, so now it's, it's we've suddenly forgotten about the really good thing that the Trump administration, perhaps in my opinion, perhaps the only good thing they did was was really get on top of this uh, of this vaccine right away. And um, but that's all lost now. You know, it's it's why don't people line up for the vaccine and say, okay, call it the Trump vaccine. I don't care what you call it, you know, just, just get the yeah. shot, you know? And, um, you know, if you want to give Trump the credit for it, fine. You know, he saved the day, fine. But, you know, get the damn vaccine because you're going to die without it. And, and, um, another piece of disinformation I see, which you hit upon as well, was, uh, this Delta variant hits. And it seems to have caught a lot of people off guard in the sense that, the people that got vaccinated, yours truly included, um, suddenly have to mask up again, and <laughs> and so you know, I think people feel a little bit betrayed, and of course the GQP is making making hay of this whole thing, 
But again, it's following the science. Nobody ever pushed this vaccine saying this is a 100% cure. Uh, it is a high percentage rate that you won't get sick, uh, even higher percentage rate that you won't die from it. But nobody ever said that your body would never be infected with the virus. Um, I don't know if you remember, was that you and I talked to uh, Dr. Michael White uh, some mm-hmm. time ago about this? And he asked this question, which really, which really triggered my mind, was like he said, um, what does the vaccine do for you? And, you know, the answer basically was, you'll still get the virus and you can still spread the virus, but you're not going to die from it. And that word, for some reason, never got out. So now people think, you know, there's a there's a big, you know, uh, moving of the goalpost out there that now people who are vaccinated suddenly have to wear masks. Um, I, for one, I'm kind of pissed off about that, honestly. Not that I have to wear masks. I, I'll, I'll do it. I do it anyways. But, um, but I've been vaccinated, and now I have to wear the mask for the people that decided, for whatever reason, to not get vaccinated. And I'm wearing a mask now to protect them. At the same time, they're laughing at me, right? But yeah, it's like because they're not going to wear a mask anyway. They're not going to wear the mask anyways, you know. And, and I have to—it's a real moral question for me, do, you know. Do I'm, am I so angry with these people that I wish death upon them? And the answer obviously is no. Do, am I so angry with them that I that I wish sickness upon them? No, I don't do that either. So it's really hard for me to to swallow a lot of pride and say, okay, I'm going to do the right thing for the idiots that that won't do the right thing and and actually make fun of me doing the right thing. Yeah, I'm a little bit pissed about that, but I'll do it, you know. And I think most people look at it that way as well. Yeah, are are you are you mad enough at them to let them kill themselves? Is really mm-hmm. the question. Because it is with all within their choice, right? They could get vaccinated, they could wear a mask, they could distance, they could, you know, stay home. The the folks that are getting sick are the folks that are not doing that. And then a small percentage of responsible vaccinated people that that they're putting in harm's way, really. Yeah. At the same time, I, I don't love the idea of, you know, of mandatory injections from the government. I, I share people's aversion to that concept. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I think the the need is so overwhelming. The downside is so apparently not there. And there's just no grounds to think that this is some sort of uh, power fantasy control thing. It is a global pandemic. Unless every country in the world is collaborating on this, it's probably just a virus. We can probably treat it like one, which means getting your medicine, the vaccine in this case. Yeah. You know, you get, you vaccinate your kids all the time. Hopefully I'm sure you've gotten tetanus shots Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. It's all in the same realm. You know, and then you trust what's in a, a Rockstar energy drink when you trust what your doctor <laughs> yeah. is telling you. Like, come on. Yeah, don't drink that stuff, but people do it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's just, uh, I think, it, it, yeah, it, I was watching the news the other day and there's, they're interviewing this lady who was, um, you know, I, I'm in Missouri and Missouri is one of those states that's in the headlines these days because, you know, we have a lot of people that are getting infected from this, what they call the pandemic of the unvaccinated. And she said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact quote, but she says, I don't want government to force me to take a shot and I don't want government to force me to, to wear a mask. And I'm like, lady, the government isn't forcing you. They're not tackling you and sticking a needle in your arm. You know, they're not 
they're not, uh, you know, stapling a mask to your face or anything like that. But it's something called civic duty. It, it's it's the it's the responsibility that we have to our fellow citizen. Yeah, you know, and that really it, that's missing. I, I remember both my parents; they were children during during World War II, but they remember very distinctly the whole country coming together. You know, everybody got on board. Well, not everybody. There's you know, a few idiots out there, but but virtually everybody got on board with this idea of you know the war effort. You know, we all you know, they had the um, they had the rationing tickets, so you could only buy so much food or so much gasoline. Mm-hmm. Um, they all grew their own gardens so they have more food for themselves. Uh, everybody participated. It was all part of the civic duty. It was like, yeah, we have a severe threat here, you know. Uh, and we are, again, under attack. But this time, it's quite different. The enemy's different. We can't see it. But it's there. And it's just, uh, it's actually taken more people than World War II has ever taken from this country, along with you know, all the other wars we fought, it's taken over 600,000 Americans at this point, and still we don't see it as the enemy. We still don't pull together and do our civic duty. And yeah, I, 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 I share the that, hesitation uh, of vaccine. That kind of unity is in short hmm? Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Dan, go ahead. No, I'll go ahead. God, I was, I was, I'll just I was just going to say that that unity is, is in short supply, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, as we talked about a bit with with Trump and some other prominent Republicans, it seems as if they're actively pursuing less unity because they think that uh, that kind of conflict energizes people they see as their base, that they can use that to win primaries and win general elections for themselves. But mm-hmm. I think we're also seeing, and maybe this is part of the the undermining of the confidence that you're talking about, but I also think it's you know, America does have some problems and we do have some internal divisions that aren't just manufactured. They're there with some legit reason. And I wanted us to transition to our other point about the Olympics and some mm-hmm. of our politics being expressed there on the international stage. You had a really good point when we were talking about the in the pre-show earlier about uh, the, the controversy around Olympic athletes, especially U.S. Olympic athletes, supporting the U.S. publicly or criticizing the U.S. publicly, should they be using their platform as an Olympic athlete to protest or to criticize America? Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you kind of catch the audience up on what we were talking about earlier? Because I thought it was a fascinating point. Yeah, well, it was um, basically there are some athletes there that um, have expressed negative feelings toward the United States. And uh, I have a Twitter feed that I that I follow a lot of different politicians on, and I've been getting a lot of grief from these politicians saying things to the effect that these athletes are unpatriotic and they don't represent the United States. And coming right up to the point, perhaps not jumping over it, but coming right up to the point of proposing a patriotism test for these athletes. And meanwhile, I got to look at it from the athlete's perspective. These are people, uh, and I, I'm just going to say it right out loud here, that the majority of them are, are minorities that um, haven't gotten a fair deal from the United States. And so they're expressing themselves in the way that they know how to do it. 
the only way they know if they if they did it afterwards after they got the gold and everything then it would look less authentic and they wouldn't get as much attention for it so they're going to bring it to the forefront now and so i think it's a little bit disingenuous of the politicians to complain that these people should show patriotism when there is not one bit of concern on their part as to the reasons that the athletes are doing this. There's no question from, from the politicians. They, they just think these, you know, they, they, well, they, they leave it as an unanswered question. They say, you know, these athletes should be more patriotic. And I'm like, well, perhaps if they felt their country was as loyal to them as they are to their country, maybe they would feel different too. So that was sort of my point. I, I, I'm not agreeing with it in the sense that, yeah, I, I, it, it does make me feel uncomfortable when an athlete decides to show internal angst about our country. I like them to have pride in our country as well. But uh, on the other hand, a part of me understands you know, what they're going through. At least I try. I mean, basically I'm becoming an old white man myself, but I'm trying to understand, um, you know, what goes on in their minds. I can't completely understand it, but I try to understand it. And so for that reason, I'm, I'm not that unsympathetic toward their expressions. I think and I said so, that, right? Is that what I, is that what I, did I capture that correctly from our pre-show uh, discussion? Yeah. And the only thing I'd add to it is one of the points you made that resonated with me was, um, you know, the, they're not expressing that unity because they don't feel it. Yeah. And what's the root cause of that? Why, why don't our best athletes and the representatives of our nation on the international stage feel proud to be Americans or feel like they can wholeheartedly express support in that environment? There, there's a reason for that. It's yeah. not like they're just doing it to do it. Uh, you know, and, and some of the folks criticizing them are the people in positions to address some of those problems or in some cases are people who have actively stoked those divisions and that hostility that might make someone a little less proud to, to be American. So yeah, it really contributes I think to a the lot problem. there. Like yeah. what are they doing? What are we doing to address these issues so that when people go to the Olympics, they can just feel good about representing America at the Olympics and not feel like they have to uh, almost apologize for it in some way. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. We talked about civic duty before, and then people will not mask up or they will not get the uh, the vaccine uh, because they don't see it as their civic duty. Well, you got to look at the athletes the same way. Is it their civic duty then to put on the happy face, you know, and and say nothing but positive things about America when you know um, they don't? Are they, in other words, are they are they taking the same attitude as people who will not do their civic duty? Is isn't there a common sort of thread there? Maybe they don't feel that attached to the United States. Maybe they don't feel that attached to our government. And I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I'm just guessing at this point. It'd be really interesting if we could get a uh, an, an actual Olympic athlete guest as a guest oh, on our that, show here. I, yeah, I, I would love to. I'd love to learn more about that. But yeah, that's. Um, yeah. Anyways, it's it's to me it it when when politicians say this, and again, I'm going to go back to the GQP. Um, it almost harkens to some sort of fascist expression to say 
you know, we need a test of patriotism before these athletes will be allowed to represent us. And if that's the case, then they are injecting politics into the Olympics as well. Yeah, I mean, something like that certainly feels unseemly and seems anti-American-ish. Like, uh, if you're an American, you're supposed to be able to criticize the government. That's that's part of the whole deal, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're, there shouldn't be like personal tests of loyalty to the president, the government, or anything like that. If anything, the Constitution broadly, I think. But that's about as far as I would say that it should go. At the same time, you know, these folks are handpicked as our representatives. I think what that comes with, if, you know, if I had it my way, Dan, which, you know, mm-hmm. things would be so much better, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had it my way, uh, no, what it, I would say that, you know, they should absolutely go out there to win. They should conduct themselves um with the, the highest level of sportsmanship and respect for other countries and other athletes that are present, respect for the sports that they're participating in. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the more patriotic, the better, but at the end of the day, you know, part of being a patriotic American is that ability to criticize and exercising that first amendment. Right. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't think anyone is above the consequences for doing that. If they say something dumb or something that's uh borderline illegal or anything like that but i don't get the sense that these athletes are doing that so if people want to criticize the fact that they're criticizing that is also they're within their rights but i i don't think there should be a responsibility imposed upon our athletes to just go there smile and wave at the flag and and that's it like yeah we're picking them to compete they should go and they should do that they certainly shouldn't do anything that uh, disgraces themselves or the country. Again, we're not seeing that either. Right. Uh, at the same time, they don't have to love anything and everything American or that America has ever done. I don't. That seems like too extreme a requirement for any American, no matter what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I think the ultimate irony was uh, Colin Kaepernick. I always mispronounce mm-hmm. his name, but uh, kneeling during the national anthem. Here we are singing a song about our freedoms. And he's exercising his freedom while we're singing a song about our freedom. But no, you can't do that. No, no. You know, you're supposed to stand and put your hand over your heart. I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> he's doing exactly what the song is talking about. <laughs> so, you know, why is he being made to suffer? In uh, celebrities in general, I mean, it, it, I'm always amazed that, you know, sometimes celebrities get out there and they say some really, you know, political things. Some I agree with, some I don't, but, you know, I always agree with their ability to do it because, you know, if you're a celebrity and you're getting some attention and if you feel a certain way about something, I think you should just go ahead and say it. You know, it's, 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 you know, use your, use some of your 15 minutes of fame to say something that you believe in, whether or not, you know, you're going to, everybody else believes in it. And but they always get they always get criticized, you know, like oh that guy's an idiot. He shouldn't say that. He should just stick to acting. You know, he shouldn't be uh, talking about politics, unless they say something that you know that is agreeable. And then it's like, oh, what a great guy. You know, this Dennis Miller is a great guy. He's saying some really great things. Like, well, wait a minute, there's kind of a double standard here now, isn't it? Because you know you gotta, yeah, it it's it's also 
very, very childish in a sense that we do these things, but we do them anyway. So, um, I, I, I mean, every American's got a right to crit to give their opinion about anything, and for better or worse, that's just how we have it set up. Because I think the alternative leads down a, a less good path. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the same time, if you're throwing your opinion out there you can expect some negative feedback about that from people that don't agree with it or, or think you look, look foolish saying it. Mm. But at the same time, it's really exhausting to have this cycle and the double standard around it, as you said, like, Oh, well, this person's saying something I like, so they're the best. And, you know, uh, I can't believe we have so-and-so on our side now. This is awesome. And then that guy will turn around and say something you don't like. And it's, oh, I can't believe you betrayed us. Like, I never <laughs> liked you in the first place. Yeah. It just gets tiring. It you does. Know, everyone's, yeah. everyone's in the right to do it, whatever. But can we move past it? Can we mature as a society and just chill? Oh, it, it, the thing is, it works, right? I mean, when you say these things, they, you know, when, when, when you criticize, when, when, when athletes or, or, celebrities are criticized for their political views and then they say something different about you know you know ted nugent versus like tom hanks or something like that you know ted nugent's oh he's a buddy of the right so like he can say anything he wants right um you know but but it it all it all comes down to the fact that it works and it seems childish it seems inconsistent but it works. I mean, here's the thing now. We, we were talking earlier about the January 6th commission, and I was just uh, reading New York Times this morning, and I've seen this going on for a while now. It, it, the New York Times, in an analysis section, um, the headline is, um, already distorting January 6th, the GOP now concocts entire counter-narrative. And basically, what the, the article goes on to describe the fact that they're putting the insurrection on the shoulders of Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> and it's like, well, uh, you know, she didn't give us the National Guard. So, I mean, obviously, we're just going to break into the Capitol. You know, I had this little this little diatribe going on Twitter one time that said, um, this, is, this is GQP logic for you. I robbed a bank. The cops weren't there to stop me. So really, when you think about it, the police are at fault here and I'm just an innocent victim. <laughs> You know, I got a lot of likes on that one, <laughs> but but that's the logic here, right? Case, the the bank owner's fault. Yeah, yeah, the bank was open. I mean, I just you know I'm an innocent victim. Why the cops you... weren't there to stop me. I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> Why didn't you deploy police to your own bank? Well, exactly. I mean, just like the bank owner, police can't control the national guard. It might right. be a well, that might be news to some Republicans, I guess, or they just don't care. Well, and and this is a thing. It, I laughed when I first saw this happening. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I just started, but then I started crying because I realized that they throw this stuff out there because some people are going to believe it. I'm going to say, you know, the whole insurrection was Nancy Pelosi's fault. And uh, I'm no fan of Nancy Pelosi. Let me tell you, I, I, I really, um, really no fan of hers at all, but and I probably shouldn't say that because you probably live in her district, don't you, right now? Uh, I I used to. I, I don't think I do anymore, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but but, but I, I was uh, very disappointed with her speakership on a lot of fronts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
so I'm no fan of hers, you know, but I am, I, uh, I also resist putting blame where it doesn't belong. Right. I mean, I'll give credit to the Trump administration for Operation Warp Speed, despite all the other bungling things they did. They got that one right, and they deserve credit for it. Um, and, you know, it, it, okay, that put that aside. Now, the insurrection, that's on them. That, that's on Trump. That's on, uh, that's on uh, who is that, mayor of New York, uh, um, I've blanked on his, on his on his name because it just I just want to forget this guy. But uh, he said well, we're going to have uh, trial by combat, and that actually Giuliani, hark- yeah. Giuliani. and that, that actually harkens yeah, back the to trial a, by combat line. Yeah, oh my God, and that actually harkens back to a, I looked that up at one point. I think it's a, a medieval term that that's the way yeah. they used to solve things in the past. It's like okay, you guys um, fight it out. You know, it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. Just get your swords out and start hacking away at each other, and the last man standing wins. I mean, that's really what Giuliani was hearkening back to. So it was, you know, it, it is their fault. This, it, they are the ones that instigated this riot. You can't go into a, you know, a, a, a movie house and yell fire or something. That's not a freedom of speech issue. That's a public safety issue. So you know. It, the fact they're trying to shift the blame right now and do it in such a comical way to actually put it on Nancy Pelosi because somebody at some point must have figured out, hey, there are people out there that will actually believe that. Or maybe they don't believe it, but it's actually, it can still be a rallying cry. And, you know, it, true to fascism, it, if you repeat a lie often enough, people will start to believe it. So this is what, you know, this is what's happening. Well, I mean, you had a collection of speakers who, who told that crowd who had been primed for weeks we're going to go do trial by combat. If we don't do it, we're going to lose the country. And so let's go down to Congress and stop them. Yeah. That's essentially the content of those speeches rolled up into a little narrative. And then they were shocked when they went down to the Congress and fought people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, no, they're not shocked. They can't be shocked. Not right. allowed to be shocked. And they're not allowed to make the police out to be bad people either. Right, because they spent so much time. They, being you know, again the GQP, spends a lot of time building up the police, and this is actually part of a movement that started in the 1990s too, which were um, the increased militarization and authoritarianism that's been put into police departments. I'm not for defunding the police either, but there is something going on here when they become increasingly militarized, and um, and and so you know this this becomes. Part of the GQP's narrative, like, oh, the police are good guys, um, even though they're, you know, increasingly authoritarian. Now, all of a sudden, the Capitol Police are doing exactly what police are supposed to do. They're trying to keep the peace. They're trying to, you know, protect, uh, protect and serve. And now they're the bad guys because the narrative shifts, right? All oh, these cops are bad. I mean, I was watching them, one of them getting hit over the head with a flag and, and, and just thought about it because there's this other guy named... Um, Jason Smith, who is a uh, representative from Missouri here as well, he uh, he put out a, a tweet recently that said, we should make uh, burning flags illegal. And I came back to him on my own little tweet and said, yeah, why burn a flag when you can use it to hit a cop over the head with it, you know? And this this really kind of shows the <laughs> the the uh, the fallacy of, of this whole argument about the police, you know, and it really came out recently when we had these four police officers, these brave police officers that testified uh, to the January 6th commission. And um, 
boy, boy, they were they were just chastised. I mean, they were just hung out to dry by all the uh, by the by the GQP as well as the um, as well as a lot of the commentaries on on the media. And there was a remarkable amount of restraint shown by the Capitol Police. Oh, absolutely, in that, yeah. In that incident, especially when you compare it and contrast it with uh, the stories of of police overreach and police violence that we see daily at this point across the country, mm -hmm. you know, they, they seem to went above and beyond to not hurt people as much as possible. Yeah. Um, obviously one, one person was shot by the police, but you know, they were trying to preach the house chamber at the time, like literally go through the window. So yeah. there were, there were lines the line. there. They weren't letting them get away with carte blanche, but you know, right. we had officers, be pushed hit crushed spit on and they sprayed you know for the most part just focused on like you said protecting yeah yeah the restraint they showed was to me was amazing I, I was watching this whole thing unfold in real time and i'm like when is the shooting going to start because you know there there is physical violence here I, and 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 yeah to what you just said too i mean across the nation we're seeing police getting uh for lack of a better term, trigger happy at times. And it may or may not be justified. I'm not going to insert clear, myself I'm not in that saying argument. That, right. I'm not going to advocate that, you know, that they should have fired on the crowd or, or anything of that nature. It would have been a tragedy and the loss of life probably would have been substantial. It would have been horrible. It would have been much, much worse. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I was yeah. with you. I was looking at this and I was like, oh my God, they're going to have to, yeah. They're going to have to like start shooting a lot of people. It's going to happen any second. I was waiting for it. Yeah. And I was, I was flabbergasted that it never did. Not, not that I was looking forward to it. I just based on everything we've seen across the country for the past couple of years, I yeah. certainly thought how that's, that was going to go. Cause they have shot people for a lot less. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I took but, an American uh, flag and walked up to a cop and hit him in the head, I could fully expect to get shot. <laughs> it's, right. it's just I mean, not that I would do it, but um, you know, it, it's yeah. It, I, I am very proud of the Capitol Police, honestly that that they that they held the line and they they you know they had different security barriers that you know people kept breaking through one barrier after another and finally got to that final barrier and then then the shooting did start and 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 really. Um, uh, what, the fact that only one person was shot and it was tragic in itself. I I, I feel for her and, and her family, but um, I'm glad it wasn't any worse than that. It, they, they finally got to that inner line of security where where they they could not be allowed to go any further, at least not while they were still evacuating um, members of Congress. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm totally I'm I'm I'm, I'm shocked myself at at, uh, at the restraint that they showed and and psychologically. It was devastating for them. You know, it was they PTSD and so on. I mean, they're being attacked by their own countrymen. And yeah, it's a horrible thing. Not only their own countrymen, but the very people that they have spent their careers protecting. Mm -hmm. These are Capitol Police officers. These are the folks that secure the, the Congress. And you've got Congress people just really trying to discredit and character assassinate them. Like, these are... They've been risking their lives for these people for years. Yeah. And this is the the thanks to yeah. turn around and, and attempt to vilify them and discredit them and make them uh, seem unpatriotic or seem like they're lying. These are career police officers. 
that protect you and your building where <laughs> you go to work every day. You have almost certainly seen and said hi to half of them. Yeah. I I just, it's so, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about bringing shame to the country, I think that brings far more shame to the country than any protest at the Olympics. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Very good point. Well, I think that's a pretty good point to end on. We've been okay. talking for a little bit here, Dan. Yeah, um, coming up on, uh, whoa, let me see. Yeah, coming up in an hour, I guess. That's, wow, yeah. that went by quickly. It did. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. Thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes, including our fantastic guest interviews. Each week, we bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party party perspective you can subscribe on itunes google or spotify if you enjoyed listening to the show and you'd like to get involved in the alliance party please see our website at www.theallianceparty.com as we expand the party we need your involvement democracy is not a spectator sport donations and most importantly volunteers are always welcome if you'd like to contact us at the alliance party after dark drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com and also check out our twitter page at alliance on air all content for this podcast is copyrighted of the Alliance Party. However, the views expressed in the show do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. I'm Greg from Philly, here with Dan. And thank you very much for tuning in to us. I hope you have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead. Drop in for our next show. And until you do, be safe, be aware, and take care of yourself and everyone around you. Have a great week. <laughs>